people actually want very consistently the same things, you know, all over the world. They want opportunity for themselves, for their families. They want to live in good places, safe places. But at a basic level, they just want a chance to succeed. We have to put some baggage down. And we also have to pick up some burdens that others have been carrying, particularly as leaders in the community. We have to remove those obstacles and relieve those burdens so that others actually have an opportunity that they just simply haven't had before. I don't really separate economic development from any of that. Kenny McDonald serves as the third president and CEO of the Columbus Partnership, a civic organization of Columbus's top business leaders. He has been named one of the top 50 economic developers by economics and is a frequent speaker and national thought leader on regional economic development. And I've had the pleasure of working with Kenny at the partnership and at One Columbus. And I can tell you, he is the real deal. Our city is better off because he is in his role and in this community. Kenny, boy, it's you know great to have you on. I was thinking about this as I was looking at your bio and just having seen you now wear multiple hats and in different roles in this community. Uh, it's, it's awesome to have you uh, in the role you're in. And um, there's just been so much good that has come out of the roles that you've played in this community that um, I'm honored to call you a friend and be a partner with you in the partnership and, um, and have a chance to talk with you today and, and you know, go, go a little deeper with you. Well, likewise, even if you weren't one of my bosses, I'd be happy to do this anyway. I love it. Oh, I I never really thought of you as um, uh, somebody that I was the boss of, and I still don't. (laughs) I still don't. So even if that has sort of any technical truth, I prefer to call you a friend. Um, So because really, you know, I mean, and and maybe we'll just kind of hop in here, you know, uh, kind of a little out of uh, format, but you know, the, the partnership is, in my opinion, truly that. I mean, it is actually a partnership of people working side by side. Um, and, and so that's kind of how I've always looked at you and your team. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. And it's a really good, instructive way to look at it so that it isn't just a, um, uh, you know, just another civic group. Um, and it, uh, it has a real intention behind it. And, um, that's part of what makes it special. Yeah, good. Well, we'll come back to the partnership. Let's um, go all the way back to sort of uh, your earliest memories of childhood, and and maybe you can just share with the audience, you know, what um, what being a kid was like for you. Uh, talk a little bit about your family dynamics, how you were, you know, raised, where you were raised, and all that fun stuff. Well, it's uh, I appreciate the question. I. Um, I did grow up a little bit differently than, than maybe most folks. Um, uh, on a, uh, the first seven years of my life was on a ranch uh, in Montana, about 50 miles from anything that you would call a town. Um, in fact, uh, I started, my, started going to school um, in a one-room schoolhouse uh, in, a, in a little place on the prairie called Cohagen, Montana, uh, which really is a schoolhouse, and it used to be a bar. Uh, and a place to maybe buy cigarettes or something. That was a kind of a place that uh, uh, you know, a ranching community, right? And um, uh, we had a uh, we had a uh, a ranch um, that my folks leased um, for as long as uh, they could, and then they end up uh, buying it over time. And we had a big, vast sheep ranch, so about um, um, almost. Uh, 10,000 acres of, uh, of, of land to roam around. So as a uh, young kid, horses, um, three-wheelers and four-wheelers bashing around um, uh, the prairie is a, like a really special way to have, um, you know, the young part of your life and your earliest memories. Mm, boy, sure is. I, <laughs> I don't know if I've watched too much Yellowstone or, 
um, you know, I spent a little time uh, in Montana myself and, um, you know, it, it is really a special place. Uh, and that does sound like a, a beautiful environment to be raised in. Were your parents or, or grandparents, was your family from Montana? How did, how did everybody kind of get settled there? So my uh, grandfather and his brother came over on, um, from Scotland um, to Ellis Island, actually. And then um, there was a Scotch community um, in eastern Montana um, that they got on a train, if you can imagine, at 17, 18 years old, at, uh, you know, back in the early part of the 1900s, and um, went across the entire country and landed in what was even smaller community and a, more of a frontier at that time. And, um, um, you know, much like you see on gangs of New York and stuff, like you went to a place called the Montana bar and there was guys in there that would make sure that the, uh, uh, the Scots that showed up actually got a place to work and got a good start and they got them, you know, got them going and it, it ended up, that's why you actually ended up having so much livestock and stuff out in that area. It's still a really big Scotch community because of that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so talk a little bit more about kind of what that was like for you. I mean, um, I don't want to get too far ahead, but, you know, I, I kind of see you in the role that you're in today. And I know you, you know, kind of in this economic development, in this kind of leadership role, um, you know, a lot of CEOs and suits and, you know, like, um, right. Like it's, it's, uh, and now I'm like, okay, Kenny, you know, comes from Montana. He, you know, that's a, that's a world's away, you know? Um, so, so talk a little bit about kind of like, you know, life for you at that point sounds like it's fun, beauty, you know, nature, but, but what else, you know, what were you into? What were your parents like? Kind of what was that kind of upbringing really like? Well, my mom was a uh, school teacher. She had taught all over Montana, including in the in the school that we went to, at least out there. Um, but she she taught at uh, maybe six or seven one two room schoolhouses across Montana um, after graduating college. And um, so she was a college graduate and actually, you know, was a teacher, a professional, and uh, had been married and widowed and. Um, um, found my dad, he was a little older when they got married, he was about 38 years old and, um, he was a native of the area. Right. So he had played basketball for the Montana Grizzlies and went off to world war two and, uh, then came back and then just what became somebody who worked, um, in, uh, in the, if you will, the sheep business, selling wool and doing all the things you do, working for other people until he could get his own, uh, place. And, um, so, uh, that was kind of our background. We ended up, uh, my mom had two sons from her first marriage. Um, uh, my two oldest brothers, both have passed now. Um, and then I had, uh, one more brother who is still alive and he lives out in, uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And, um, we grew up as ranch kids, right? I remember us, I remember them saying that we we're going to move to town and we we're going to buy a home in, in the city. Uh, and the city is Mile City, Montana, which is uh, kind of an outpost, literally an old Calvary outpost in eastern Montana. And um, my dad wanted us to have a home in there so that we could actually go to grade school and high school in, in Mile City and uh, play sports and things like that. So I had three older brothers, I would say, between working on the ranch and just playing ball, whether that was baseball, football, basketball, that was the totality of our life. Like, that's how we lived. And um, I was the youngest of them. And so I was uh, either got really good or I got beat up or a little bit of, the, of all of the above uh, at the same time. And um, that was that that was that was our life around that whole community and where our families in you know, deeply embedded in, in Miles City and the in the counties around there in eastern Montana because of my grandfather and their family and all my cousins and everything who still live there. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, um, sports plays a big role, you know, the brotherhood plays a big role. Um, you know, tell me a little bit more about kind of any other, you know, interest relative to academics or anything that maybe was starting to come through that, that might, you know, connect dots to where you are today or, or to kind of your 
where you start to go off into next your studies, your, you know, your academic um, period of life? Well, I mean, you know, really a typical kind of small town um, guy. I mean, sports was probably um, the priority mm-hmm. over everything. And I really wanted to play um, college sports of one or the football or basketball. Ended up getting some scholarships in both of them to smaller schools like NAI type of uh, schools, division three kind of things, but um, ended up choosing to play basketball at a place called Dickinson state university, which is in um, the far uh, Western edge of North Dakota, which about three hours from where we grew up. And um, I, I would, I always tell people I went to play basketball and also got a degree, a business degree in the process. Um, uh, and had a, had a great time doing it. Like I wouldn't trade it uh, for anything. It's a school of maybe 2,500, 3,000. And even there, it was, I would call it, um, we joked that it was kind of advanced high school, right? And we were still sports as a priority. Academics were, you know, something we did. I ended up, I was a good student. Um, and um, it was never really difficult for me. Um, but really until I went to graduate school, I wouldn't say that I was, um, any kind of, I didn't have any kind of real academic focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and really the focus was on sports. I mean, even thinking, I'm assuming, you know, about career or any of that, it was, it was still just sort of hyper-focused on, on this athletic piece, which makes sense. I mean, you know, when you talk about kind of small town and, um, certainly, you know, I think a lot of, you know, men and, and I know in, in my family, like sports is, was, still is a big focus. I mean, you know, my wife often jokes because I've got three boys that, you know, sometimes will sit at the dinner table and she literally just doesn't have anything to add to the conversation, right? And, and she's actually pretty damn knowledgeable about sports, but like- You have to be. We, we go deep and, and you know, and it, it could be all day, every day if, if we let it. So sometimes it is. So I, I get that and and- you know, I, I am a little um, curious to hear more about kind of the experience. You know, you yep. you're you know you're playing college sports. You know, you're you're part of the team. What what was it about kind of the environment of of sports of of being on that team that was so uh, kind of energizing for you? Well, I I never played individual sports. I always played team sports, and I was I don't remember a team I was on where I wasn't the captain of you know this or that, and and you know sometimes I was one of the better players, and other times I was just um, for whatever reason quarterback on the football team and stuff like that. I just sort of gravitated towards being in charge, probably because I wanted to control everything or have the ball in my hands or something um, most of the time, and so. You know, I, I, uh, I reflect that that's still something that's sort of in my psyche. Um, I, uh, I will say, um, I do, I, that's why I'm such a big believer that not only kids should play sports as a way to get socialized. It's not the thing, um, you know, but I would say being part of a team, being part of, a um, something that teaches you to work with others and, um, to accept the things that they're great at and you're not and vice versa um, is just something that got ingrained in me. And in fact, I was, I would say there's probably a 95% chance I was going to be some sort of a coach, mm-hmm. history teacher, you know, something like that. Um, and it never really occurred to me until I got to maybe be in a junior or senior in college, like, okay, what do I really want to do? Mm-hmm. And, um, I, uh, I had some really great mentors and, and my dad actually had me talk to some people um, that he respected at, um, um, you know, it's interesting what conversations in your life stick out mm-hmm. from so long ago. But he had, mm-hmm. he had me talk to this lawyer at, back in my hometown and I said, you know, I, uh, I don't really want to own uh, a business directly, but I'm really interested in it. Um, I saw the the good things and the failings maybe of, of where I grew up because it's a tough place. You know, these are not, um, these are, it's kind of a hard life ranching. You're on the plains of Eastern Montana. Um, most people don't have a ton. They're putting, you know, putting together two, three, four things to make a living. And there's, um, there's rural poverty. 
Um, and we saw all the effects of that stuff even growing up. And I knew that I wanted to be part of a community, right? That was really important to me. And it didn't matter exactly which one. I just knew that that was, that was something powerful to me. And so this guy was saying, well, there's, you know, there's things you can get a law degree and that opens up some doors for that kind of thing in your future. And, um, and end up that through a basketball connection, um, I got the opportunity to go to grad school um, at uh, uh, Georgia Southern of all places. So, you know, another a foreign country for a kid from Eastern Montana to go to the deepest part of the South um, through a family connection and a basketball connection. I actually went to work for the NCAA rep at Georgia Southern and. Um, and um, their family ended up being the head of the public administration program. That's how I got a master's in public administration. Mm. So I would say, again, like the opportunity led where the academics went. And um, that's, that began my journey beyond Montana. And, um, you know, uh, first time I crossed the Mississippi was when I drove to go to graduate school. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. You know, I, I kind of want to come back to the sports piece for a second because in, you know, having done, you know, um, you know, over a hundred and whatever, 20, 30 podcasts now, um, there is a theme, uh, there's a lot of themes, but one of them is kind of the impact that playing sports has had on, on, um, on, uh, people's lives and, and in the, on their careers. And, and it's a funny thing because I don't think it has to come through sports. It could come through any sort of like focused uh, effort, but it does seem to be a big part of our culture. And, you know, you talked about team being captain of the team. Uh, certainly there's uh, relationships that are formed that allow for, for openings, right? People get to kind of see the kind of quality of a, of a, human being, a kid, a young person, right? And and they want to help them and support them, or there's some sort of common bond, like a fraternal, like, hey, yeah. you right. Um, and a network, really, right? And 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 I'm kind of curious, like to back up on the leadership piece, because it makes perfect sense that you would be the captain of the team and and knowing what you do now, right? I mean, you are in in really every sense the quarterback of the community in your role. So do you think that that was something that was sort of like a, a natural, like in your genetic makeup to be a leader, to be the guy that raises the hand to say, I'll, I'll step up. Um, was that part of something that was role modeled for you, taught to you? Tell me a little bit more about why you think you were that guy at that, you know, at an early age. Well, I think part of part of that is if you have older siblings, you are you know you first of all you look up to them and you're um, you're following them, but you want to be as good as them. You want to be on the court with them, right? And you have to work a little bit harder, and you're you get a little bit more advanced. You know, you're 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 playing with the older kids, if you will, right? And um, that that forces one thing. I, I was I was I was also thinking that as you were saying that I had some really instructive things in my life as we, um, I used to go to this basketball camp in, um, uh, Eastern Washington, Northwest basketball camps, Christian basketball camps. And they were, um, they were really tough. Um, and so they're, they're noted basketball camps, NBC camps. Um, a lot of the famous players out in Gonzaga and stuff went through some of that stuff. And, um, they, you got a notebook when you went, you had all these, you know, sayings and you had all this leadership coaching. And, um, my brother and I were actually talking about this not that long ago that how instructive that was, like it showed you what you can do. And then I, and then of course you have coaches along the way that, um, take you aside and kind of show you how to be the leader. Like, uh, you know, I, in football, I, I, I was, I think I was a freshman or sophomore and I was again, playing with the older kids. And, um, this, this guy says, you know, he taught me how to actually use my voice. He said, you, you know, you walk in, they're all bigger than you. They're older than you, but you got to take command. They're looking to you 
for direction. And you've got to uh, at least pretend like you know what you're doing <laughs> and sound like you know what you're doing. Uh, and you'll be, you'll be surprised how far you can get. And so, you know, little conversations like that, it's interesting what, you know, you can pick out and say, you know, I wonder if, that, if I, if I use that in a good way or a bad way um, as I get older mm-hmm. and how that stuff sort of sticks with you. And I think, I think part of it is inherent and part of it, you just, you have the opportunity to learn if you, uh, if you take it. Yeah. I, I think that's probably right. You know, it's, it's, it, it might be kind of, um, it's a probably a good combination of all those things, right? Because you got to have some, I think, and maybe we're all born to, to, to lead, but um, we don't, you know, get shown the way and or take advantage of the opportunities. But you know, it seems like some people are more naturally inclined to find themselves in that position, and you know, it sounds like you're one of those people. Um, so tell me a little bit about you know, kind of how sports keeps opening doors for you off to graduate school now and, you know, really kind of taking what sounds like a fairly big leap to leave the comfort of the environment you've now lived in your whole life and, you know, kind of get into something pretty different than, you know, what you've been up to. Well, what, you know, I, I want to back up to one thing, which is um, the reason that we didn't, be, neither my brother or I became um you know, ranchers ourselves or stayed in the agricultural community and stuff is it's tough. It's, you know, talk about a tough business where, you know, you're hoping to praying it rains and everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think my dad must've told us a million times, you don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Go get an education, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, go see the world, get out there. He loved it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, even later in life, he asked, well, why didn't you guys do this? I said, well, mm-hmm. basically we listened to you. yeah um, that's funny so when when i went off i wanted to go to graduate school really i was probably anxious but excited to to do this i loaded up up my car with everything i owned which wasn't a whole lot and some cassette tape decks drove across the country and um you know i really didn't know what i was getting into um and it, it ended up being a really special place Mm. Um, for a bunch of different reasons. First of all, um, the exposure to the diversity that um, you had in South Georgia in every way um, was something that you just can't get in if you're growing up in eastern Montana or mm-hmm. you're in North Dakota. So you know, Georgia Southern is a, um, you're, you're, you're about an hour away from Savannah, Georgia. In fact, I took a bunch of my classes at Savannah State, which is a historically by college. And um, a, a long conversations with some of the professors there really started to form, you know, the way I think about diversity and some of the things that I'm passionate about bringing to communities um, were formed when I was maybe enhanced when I was there on some things that I knew, but I didn't have much exposure to. And um, just some really special people that worked in criminal justice and um, uh, some of the professors that I had down there. Um, really changed my life in a couple of years um, in terms of what I wanted to do and ended up actually getting me into economic development through an internship. That's actually, you know, the pathway to what I would say the second part of my life beyond sports, which, which was economic development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I definitely want to kind of circle back around some of the issues around diversity and some of the things that we're um, tackling as a society today and how that uh, experience, you know, served you well to be in the position you're in now. But um, let's kind of, you know, continue to follow this thread. Um, you you, you kind of start to get an economic development bug, um, and, and talk a little bit about kind of what is it about that that has you curious or energized or starting to really, you know, move in this path away from sports and into something that's. Uh, I'm sure there's tons of, you know correlation as we've already discussed, right? The competitive aspect, the teamwork, the leadership. I mean, it's all probably there, but, you know, in a lot of ways it's, it's in a very different medium. So talk a little bit about, you know, why, why economic development? So my advisor, um, who I was really close to said, um, I've got to internship for you. I mean, you love business. 
you want to be part of community. It's not boring. Like it's different every day. And, um, and I'm going to, you know, suggest you go take this internship with the Savannah Economic Development Authority, which ended up being, you know, not only a, a, an ordinary economic development group, but really one of the best in the country. So it's a, it's, it's still actually in, from our peer group um, here in Columbus, you wouldn't think of Savannah being, you know, uh, a peer group, but their economic development team has always been phenomenal and they have this long history. And so I, I, I got the opportunity to work for, first of all, a great group of people at a very high level at what they did. Right. So I jumped right into something that was pretty special. Um, and then I was just kind of, I, I still am amazed uh, the rooms that I'm in. Right. So I, um, I go to work for these guys and, you know, you're with the mayor of Savannah, you're with the county commissioners, you're hosting the governor, you're hosting CEOs and clients on a regular basis um, from the community and from around the world that are coming. And um, you look around sometimes and you think, you know, I'm some kid from Eastern Mount, what am I doing in this room? Right. And, um, and I get to be part of the conversation and, and get a, get a hand in doing some small thing or maybe having a bigger role and, in, in, in helping this happen. And so um, it's, it's actually exhilarating, right? So it, it's the, like, there's adrenaline to it. There's, um, you know, there's that high that you would get from winning a game by winning a project or you know, competing with another community for something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, you know, it's a team. Mm-hmm. And by the way, most of the team you don't control at all. Yeah. You know, you've got a bunch of actors and you don't, you don't get to bench anyone or uh, put anybody in the game. Like you're, you're going to you're taking a field with the players you have and you're trying to maximize it. And, um, you know, it's addicting. Mm. Um, I will, I will say that for a period of time, the two worlds were really overlapped a lot because the, uh, particularly I played basketball, right? So the basketball world, the network of basketball coaches and people that played the sport and stuff, even if you were at a lower level, like I was, um, you end up being connected, you know, uh, just a couple of notes away from, from anybody. Mm -hmm. And, um, I feel the same way after working in economic development for, you know, the second half of my life, if you will, um, that I'm connected to every community and I can go to almost any place in the country or even in the world and find an economic developer as if we're uh, playing a pick game of pickup basketball mm-hmm. and uh, we can talk the same language all the time. So I just, there's lots of corollaries and stuff, the things that uh, make me really passionate about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, uh, also what I'm hearing is just kind of the, the value that you have and, and the, and the experience that you've had in being part of community being part of a network, right? Which is sort of the same thing, right? That, that whether it be Montana sports, um, you know, basketball specifically economic development or, you know, our partnership, there's community there. And that is super important to learn, grow, you know, fall, support each other, right? Uh, you know, create, collaborate, you know, you you have to be uh, around people that either understand you, who you know what it's like to do what you do. You know, and in fact, this is sort of like the reason that, you know, I, I have this podcast is um, to try to help people in the community navigate, learn, you know, go on to do things like you're doing. And so, I just hear that kind of constant thread coming through of the value that community and network um, and being a part of something, belonging to something is really played in your life. And also just trying to raise the bar all the time, right? I, um, you know, I'm motivated and it's, I, it's, some of it's competitiveness and some of it's just really curiosity about, um, wow, like I didn't know that was possible. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, you know, communities did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know when I first joined the crew in Savannah, 
um, I had no idea of the apparatus in every city in the world, effectively, uh, that exists just below the surface. And it's these um, teams of people that are working like, uh, uh, like crazy to make sure that they're building an economy, they're improving things, um, and they're professionals at it. Like there's people who do this. That was maybe one of the, 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 the things that got me most excited was it was like a hidden treasure. I mean, I thought you either went to work for the government um, and you became part of the official government or you, um, or you became, you know, went into work in business or something, which is how I grew up. My family, my dad was a businessman effectively. And um, I never even knew anybody that worked in an office. So even, even that was kind of a big step to sure. work in an office. And, um, and so, you know, it, it was a big leap, but I can, you know, I can, I just was lucky by the way yeah. that people took up for me and, um, and gave me opportunities to jump in. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, <laughs> just sitting here, um, kind of thinking about, um, you and, and, you know, this path that you've been on and I'm wondering how much of kind of the fact that you had not been exposed to being in an office or, you know, the, the business community in a traditional sense, how much of, of the kind of ranch life and you being sort of, you know, kind of, um, you know, conditioned that way. Um, and, and, you know, and I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of making assumptions here, but like, what feels very sort of grounded and wholesome and, and, you know, focused on, um, you know, uh, relationships, right? right? How much of your kind of, you know, conditioning growing up on a ranch helps you today, or as you started to get into this career that you're not somebody who's like, so, corporate raised, you know, their entire lives, right? Like there's, there's some relatability. There's some ability to have maybe compassion or, or a more holistic view because you are coming from that angle. I would even, the way I look at it is um, it's a huge advantage in my opinion, right? I could, I I used to be, have anxiety about it Um, again, you know, do, man, do I belong here? Um, Do I, um, should I be in this room? You know, I, um, and you, you quickly understand, you know, everybody's coming from a different angle. Uh, the reason I call it an advantage is maybe twofold. One is you really bring different thinking to the table sometimes. Um, um, and that's why I think, um, bringing, bringing people to your organization and to your community and to your processes that, um, you know, you're not doing them a favor to bring them to the table. They're, they're, that perspective they're bringing is truly the thing you need to hear because maybe 80% of the table is going to hear you. You know, you can hear the same thing. You're going to, you're going to hear what everybody knows, what's right. the, the standard operating procedure or something. So I think it's a big advantage. And then I, I will say that it's been a big advantage just in my career advancement because I can remember for there was a period of time where I, became a consultant, a global consultant, actually helping companies move um, and decide where to put their operations in the world. That was my next step after Savannah. And I was the, I was a young guy who, if they needed somebody to go do something, even things that they thought were a grind, man, I was raising my hand. Like you need somebody to go to Iowa. You need somebody to go, you know, uh, on that trip. I'm your guy. I'll take it because I just want to go places. I want to see things. Right. So selfishly, that was my motivation, but then I was with everybody and I was, you know, with the partners of the firm, they got to know me. I got exposure that I wouldn't have gotten had it not been quite as curious. And um, there's no way I would have been as curious if I'd have grown up in that lifestyle and in that environment and traveled all over the place and stuff. And so it's been very useful. Um, in an accidental way, maybe. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. My career. yeah, I, I think, I think so. And, and I can just speak from my own experience. 
you know, I personally gravitate to people that, um, you know, aren't all one way and that, um, you know, maybe are a little bit more approachable. And um, I don't know, I think that uh, we probably need more of that um, in community and, and in business in particular, especially where you're talking about trying to solve problems together, right? right. If you come at it kind of, you know, real rigid and in, in one sort of mindset, it's it's going to be harder, really. You know, I I do think it's an advantage. Uh, talk to me a little bit about you know you, you mentioned that next step, and um, I want to get to how you arrive in Columbus, and you know, eventually at the partnership. Tell me a little bit more about kind of how your career continues to advance to to bring you here. You know. I've had these great mentors at every stop. And so in Savannah, I worked for some people that were super at their job, but they saw that I was pretty ambitious and they suggested that I go work for um, this, this uh, company in Greenville, South Carolina called Floor. And um, Floor is one of the biggest engineering companies in the world, but they have a, uh, like a special forces unit, if you will, about, there was about 30 people at that time that um, did corporate site selection. And um, when I work in Savannah and when here in Columbus, we we still work with a community of people that do that work around the world. And um, like everything else, there's a small group of them. And I could probably name a couple hundred people that really do that for a living. And I, I've got to know them all personally um, and got to do that for about eight years of my life and um, lived in Greenville, Spartanburg, um, but got to lead. Uh, major corporate teams in China and um, all over the United States and uh, Europe and Eastern Europe, um, finding locations for them to put their manufacturing operations, their their office environments, their headquarters, negotiating all the incentives and stuff. So those were that that period of my career was what created a global network for me of people that uh, were kindred spirit, both the clients as well as all the communities that I worked with, whether they won the project or they, or they didn't win the project. And I just got to know uh, maybe hundreds and hundreds of people around the world who um, were doing what I wanted to do, which was ultimately help these communities reach their potential. Um, I had a couple of additional stops. I mean, 9-11 was a big event in my life. I was actually on the West Coast. I was in San Francisco when uh, when the event happened on a, on a, on the end of a road trip. And I was going to set up a California office for us, and um, and I had a six month old daughter at the time, and I thought, um, well, I'm traveling all over the place all the time. The world's changing. You know, I've got to start thinking about. I really want to work for a community. And uh, I left about six months later, I left and went to Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, thinking we wanted to go back out West. I love that place. Wonderful community, very poor state, very different environment, even from, uh, you know, anything out West that I was aware, you know, in, in Montana or anything. Did that for a couple of years and then I had an opportunity to come back to Charlotte. And for seven years in Charlotte, I helped to, uh, uh, be kind of the number two person for the Charlotte Regional Partnership, which is um, an economic development group for 16 counties in and around Charlotte. And, um, you know, that that experience in Charlotte was a whole different ballgame. That was um, doing it at a fairly high level, recruiting business from around the world, going to Europe, you know, multiple times a year to recruit German businesses, French businesses and things like that. And, um, and again, really doing the work of it um, and getting exposure to a few things. And that ultimately led me to a call from, from Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. And, and so that call comes in and, and what, what do you know about Columbus, Ohio? And, and you know, what, what uh, I, I hear, you know, this calling to, um, you know, be a part of community. But, you know, what, what are you thinking when you hear, uh, you know, Columbus? that time <laughs> well so one thing that was in the back of my mind was i really do want to lead an organization right and um you know much like a coach would or something like you know we sort of know where the 
good teams and the great programs are. And there's these coveted jobs. Most of them are in these mid-sized cities, by the way, mm-hmm. Charlotte, you know, various places like that's really the, you know, in basketball terms, that's the Kentucky and the Louisville, the UCLA's of, of, of economic development work. Right. And so I really want to lead an organization. Um, I have, my wife is from Miami, Florida. She was not excited about a call from Columbus, Ohio. Um, <laughs> Um, and I wasn't either and and, and, and really instructive why Um, I came up to Ohio um, twice a year every year when I was in in Charlotte really to just talk to businesses about moving them to Charlotte right Um, and to say you know what are you up there for those places are going the other direction the south is growing like crazy and, um, you know, getting ready to expand your business, some come our way. And I was, um, um, I was fairly successful at that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm glad I wasn't as successful or as good as I, as <laughs> I look about some of my trips to Columbus. Yeah. I guess, um, if, you know, Columbus probably was thinking, you know, well, if we can't beat him, we should you know, have them come up, come on our team. <laughs> well, so the, the Columbus market had a reputation for, doing an analysis, launching a program, and then not really sustaining it and standing behind it for more than maybe 18, 24 months. Mm-hmm. And then it would get kind of distracted and go its own way. And it really never established a strong economic development brand or anything. And um, when I came up, I actually looked at it and said, um, first of all, the product is phenomenal. And you could see the potential the unused potential that existed here just as a physical product. And if you look at the talent that Ohio state produces and everything, you're right here and you have all these assets that are necessarily being leveraged. And then I had conversations with the business community and I could tell in pretty short order that this was a little different, that the Columbus partnership was, was deeply committed and over more than just a, a few years like we want to be great at this. We think we can grow, um, but we need to go present ourselves to the world. We need a team to do that. So we came up and, and we actually had a great visit. It was Comfest of the short North. I think the, the women's world cup was on, it was wild. You know, even the short North was not what it is today, but it was still fun. Yeah. And my wife was, um, was like, let's give this a shot. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that started our journey uh, now 12 years in um, to Columbus. Yeah, Kenny, I'm going to um, just fast forward a little bit because there's a lot I still want to talk to you in the time we have left, um, talk to you about. But, uh, you know, you, you end up assuming the role you're in now. You know, you, you've, you worked through um, one Columbus, which I'm actually trying to remember what it was called before. Columbus 2020. Columbus 2020, which... Um, actually says we did a good rebrand because I was well aware of that and couldn't remember what it was called. Um, but, um, you know, Columbus 2020, One Columbus, there was a lot of engagement with the partnership. I mean, those two organizations worked hand in hand and you were always, you know, a presenter and a very, you know, integral part of the partnership. You, you've since stepped into be the CEO. Um, and, and I'm kind of curious, you know, kind of how you would, um, describe that, 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 that transition and also like want to start getting into all that's been going on at, at the time that you step in, right? I mean, you know, this is not normal times and maybe there's no such thing anymore, but, um, you know, certainly we've had, you know, tremendous uh, heightened awareness around racial tensions still do. Um, you know, there's been uh, a lot um, in the community uh, that has to be dealt with beyond just the economic development piece, you know, that in this role, you know, we as a community are uh, attempting to, you know, build uh, a prosperous community for all, right? And so, 
I would love to hear a little bit about kind of that transition and the time specifically in which you've had to step up into that role. So I would say the transition um, in our work started at the end of the decade prior to the pandemic, right? I, I think um, we had a very successful decade. We achieved what we set out to when I moved up here. And um, we set out, we were actually accomplishing what so many organizations were envious of, where we're winning projects and, you know, adding jobs. And we were growing um, at a faster pace than our region had ever grown. Um, and yet there was this sort of um, growing dissatisfaction in the communities, um, plural, you know, around both, both um, you know, jurisdictional, governmental communities and, um, and communities of minority communities, rural communities across our region. Um, and also a growing dissatisfaction among the people that were practicing it, which was our team, which was we're accomplishing a lot but we still aren't moving some of these numbers. Um, just, you know, a, a, an easy one is African-American unemployment, right? You know, back when it was at normal times, a 4% unemployment rate with the rest of the population and still 9, 10% in the African-American community. So as a practitioner who's always trying to do stuff better, our whole team sort of has that, um, you know, that, that makes us curious and makes us motivated. And we're going to figure that out. So when we launched sort of the next decades plan, I think our call to the community was we've got to work on the stuff um, that is the enabling um, systematic things that are going to cause us not only to grow, um, but to solve some of these other numbers that we want to diminish or decrease. In, with equal vigor. And we're asking for infrastructure to be done differently. We're asking for transit. We're asking for um, workforce programs to work a little different, for, for hiring practices to look a little bit different. And we weren't quite articulating that. Um, the one thing we got dead right was that we didn't want to be the biggest community, the richest community. We wanted to be the most prosperous place in the country, meaning we wanted to grow because that's just part of being good. If you're not growing mentally, physically, um, personally, organizationally, community-wise, then you're going the other direction. I firmly believe that. But if you're not progressing the practice of what you're doing to account for this nuanced thing, these things in the middle that are making these systematic changes, you're also just going to keep adding trophies, but you're never really going to win the championship. Um, and so. We articulated that right, but we weren't quite saying, um, we weren't, by the way, saying the word race or racism. We weren't uh, addressing, you know, things as directly as saying, hey, the black community has a real inequity here. Um, or, you know what, this rural community has not had the access they need. They don't have the broadband access or, you know, what are we doing about that? And um, the pandemic gave us a great excuse to actually um, to break that simultaneously the transition is going on at the partnership maybe in lots of different ways partnerships growing there's more ceos at the table you being one of them um and um fast forward you know at the end of the pandemic and for the last 12 months we we, we had an opportunity to work with intel on one of the largest projects in the world which is you know it's interesting in a lot of ways but it's also um uh a forcing mechanism for us to break the final eggs <laughs> and say, okay, how are we going to make this omelet going forward? Mm -hmm. And um, that's kind of a, a weird way to say that how that transition worked. You know, I took the reins 21 days into that. We announced the Intel project, which brought the area a lot of attention, state, a lot of attention, even the country. And um it's been a whirlwind to say, okay, let's get our footing after pandemic, after Intel, and actually after this economic and uh, social transition that we're in. Mm -hmm. And maybe we're still getting our footing, but we're, re we're building what I think is the, uh, the modern equivalent of an economic development platform, mm -hmm. which addresses all these subjects. So I get more fired up now because we're going to do this differently 
but I think we're going to do way better. Yeah. Well, um, I was actually just at a conference yesterday in uh, Palm Beach with a um, guy who came up to me, just introduced himself um, from Silicon Valley, knew I was from Columbus and wanted to talk about the Intel deal. And um, this, you know, it was obviously, you know, this is on people's radar. And his question to me was, you know, why Columbus? How did, how did, how did Columbus win that deal? And you know better than anybody, but I, I think, you know, what I said to him was, you know, from what I know, this wasn't our first attempt at a deal like that. And so it didn't just happen. It happened over many, many years of laying the groundwork and coming in second and third place so that we were ready and able to actually do what it takes to win the deal. And there's many other factors involved too. But um, you know, I, I am kind of curious to hear a little bit more from your perspective on one, you know, why Columbus and and two, what does that deal do to transform this community? Well, uh, lots of reasons why Columbus, but I will say professionally, you're totally right. You've pursued things and lost them. Right. And um, I always tell our team, we win and we learn. We never lose. Um, and opportunities have a way of coming back around. And, um, and we work with Foxconn. They actually wrote a book about the project that we were, we were in. You know, we were, I was given a copy of this the other day. And, <laughs> but, you know, I was reading about that effort, which was this huge opportunity about reshoring that they tried to do. And, um, you know, I'll give them all the credit in the world that they cracked the the ice on on some things. And we learned a lot by working with them at a you know at a global level. We learned a lot by competing for the Amazon HQ2 project and the um, the kind of diversity that we were gonna have to bring to the table and how to approach projects big and small going forward. We've done that. And um, and by the way, you know, talk about a team. You know, there really is uh, probably hundreds of people behind the scenes that actually helped make this happen, starting with the governor and his team and Jobs Ohio and their team. And um, you probably have the two most notable ones who did a bunch of the heavy lifting, the New Albany team, the New Albany company team, and all these people who just did heroic things for the last 12 months. I will say that there was a small group that would have kind of motivational calls <laughs> and said, you know what, we're going to do it. We're, we're whatever this takes, we're going to figure out how to make this work. Um, and there's zero chance that if we had not worked for 10 years and failed and won and lost and, and all the things we've done, that we would actually have the uh, fortitude um, to get through everything that we went through on that project. And by the way, you know, an ongoing pandemic in the middle of it. Um, and all the challenges going on around, swirling around us while we were trying to do it wasn't the only thing we were doing. We had a record year mm-hmm. above and beyond Intel at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it just it just shows that you can actually accomplish great things when you have a team, a network, and you've won and lost together and you've learned from it, mm-hmm. right? And you've taken the time to learn from it. Um, and then you also got people that want to force you to think big. Mm-hmm. My greatest fear. Um, Thinking about this this morning, Brett, about 100 years ago, we built the Lobeck Tower, we built the shoe, built the airport, um, and whoever those folks were had less resources than us, probably less da- a lot less data, a lot less insight into the future, um, and um, they did some big things that we've enjoyed and get to live off of. And are we going to be as bold as? People were 100 years ago or 50 years ago in some of the assets that were created. Um, and we got to keep thinking big. So for me, the Intel project is more of a symbol. It's going to bring all kinds of great things that I could go into great detail about, but it's more of a symbol of it's possible. Yeah. And then, and then if we do it right, we open opportunities for our Black community and for our Hispanic community and for our immigrant community and for... Um, you know, communities all across Ohio to benefit from it, then man, we've really done something. Yeah. So, so that's great. I'm glad you kind of, you know, landed there because, 
I was going to circle back around and talk about you know how we um, actually achieve prosperity, right? Because there's this um, focus on economic development, but then you know we're also talking about um, you know uh, black community, you know minorities, rural, right? There's all sorts of you know uh, political divides. I mean, it's a complex puzzle, and the economic development piece is often kind of seen as sort of separate, and um, and and I don't think that it is. In fact, you know, I have found in my own experience, and there's a lot of debate about this, that um, business is a powerful platform to solve world problems, and. Um, and, and at least, you know, problems in, in a community. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of your vision for how we do um, not lose sight of the issues outside of, you know, landing the big, you know, intels of the world um, and how that will actually go hand in hand with uh, solving, you know, the problems that we're, we're aiming to solve. Maybe start with a couple premises. One is that um, uh, people actually want very consistently the same things, you know, all over the world. They want opportunity for themselves, for their families. They want to live in good places, safe places. Um, and they kind of want to just get on with life, right? Um, um, without being uh, held down. And um, like they want the opportunity to actually be all that they could be. And, um, but at a basic level, they just want a chance to succeed. Right. And so I kind of come into this with that basic, um, thought that I've seen it all around the world. And, um, um, so I, I have that always in the back of my head. Um, this, the second premise is what got us here is not going to get us where we need to go. Right. Like we really have to put some, we have to put some baggage down. And we also have to pick up some um, some burdens that others have been carrying, particularly as um, uh, leaders in the community. We have to remove those obstacles and relieve those burdens so that um, others actually have an opportunity um, that they just simply haven't had before. And um, I think I, I don't really separate economic development from any of that. As I, I'm with you, I think business is a force for good in the world. Capitalism is a force for good in the world. Maybe one of the, the greatest um, in the history of the world. And, um, and yet we have to regulate it, manage it, and manage ourselves and hold each other accountable in our communities so that that force for good is channeled in a way that really does lift everybody up. Um, I, I, and I've seen it the last several years, like I've never seen it before, meaning yeah, people are starting projects with that premise. They're not adding that on to the end of them. Right. And it makes all the difference in the world. If you say, we want to build this project in your case, a physical product. Um, if you're a community builder, we're going to build this community um, or organization or whatever. We're going to start with the premise that diversity is a great value. Um, and inclusion is a great value and that we're going to have to work our tail off to break some of the systems that have led to the inequities, right? So all three things need to be addressed. And, um, if we start our conversation with that, it's really interesting that we're going to get a lot farther than if we just tack it on as an also check the box. Um, yeah, we also have to do that. Like, I think it should be at the heart of what we're trying to do. And um, you can break that down by race. You can break it down by type of community or any other way. I just, I just feel like I see that a lot with the way companies are approaching projects, communities are. And I got to believe this is going to start making a huge difference um, as we go forward and probably fairly quickly. I'm not one that actually thinks that it needs to take decades to, uh, to accomplish all that we think can be accomplished in, in this arena. Yeah. I, uh, I hope you're right. And I, I tend to share your optimism and, and maybe it's in part because it's informed by what I've seen over the last 
a uh, couple, few years, you know, that um, I actually, you know, in, in kind of giving, you know, Alex um, some credit for this too, you know, I, I really was super inspired and kind of re-energized with the partnership when I saw how people came together, um, you know, after the George Floyd murders and through the pandemic to really elevate um, you know, the, the, the issues at hand and, and get outside of, you know, the, the economic development mindset or the, the, the corporate mindset, the, the mindset of, you know, our own businesses. And it's always been about community and it's always been about things, you know, more than just business. But that was a moment where I felt like there was some real leadership where people were really coming out and standing for what they believed in and then getting activated. And you know, what I, I'm even more encouraged by is, you know, and, and listen, you know, I sit here as a white privileged man. Um, so, you know, I know that there's a lot of work to be done, but I'm um, encouraged by the work is continuing. You know, it doesn't feel like people have, um, you know, taking their foot off the gas like this, that we know there's still a long way to go. And a lot of great people are doing great work. And so, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, maybe I'll just, you know, kind of wind down and turn it over to you for final thoughts. But, you know, when I hear your story today and just knowing you and seeing what's taken place over the last few years, I do feel very comforted in knowing that there's uh, leadership uh, that that is 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 sincerely thinking uh, big, broadly, and and holistically uh, about how we can all win. And because of that, I also think this doesn't have to take forever. So anyway, I'll, I'll thank you for that, and I'll and I'll kind of let you react to that and share any final thoughts as we start to wrap up. Well, I just, I'll just go back to this idea of team and the network that is required. So no one entity person or anything is, is, is going to make that big of a difference. Although each active individual leadership matters. And what I'm comforted is you go around a community like Columbus and you see people um, being vulnerable and saying, you know what? I, I don't know what I don't know. And I want to have a conversation about it. I want to expand my network. I want to learn what that looks like. They're doing it inside their companies. They're changing their practices internally. Sometimes like small practices that are sort of unlocking big opportunities. Um, you know, doing things that um, financially or otherwise actually just help people build a bridge to a, a better future and are doing things differently. And I'm seeing that on a pretty consistent basis now, which is actually the most exciting thing and broadly. Um, and then I see just this unbelievable network of government uh, elected nonprofit academic leaders who are partners in this, right? That are bringing their processes to the table. They're, they're, they're opening up and saying, you know what, we don't quite understand what business needs or what the challenges are. And, there's an exchange of ideas and vice versa. Um, and I get really excited. Like the luxury of this job is the, is the, is the wide angle lens of all the leadership across um, the, the members of the partnership, first and foremost, the business community, and then all these other leaders in our community who are willing to do some very um, difficult and uncomfortable things to try to achieve this vision. And um, and by the way, people, um, I always I always talk about prosperity being. I don't know exactly what it looks like. I know what it. I almost know exactly what it doesn't look like. Yeah, it's it's right. failing schools. It's challenged infrastructure. It's doing things things the same way. That's not going to lead us to the point where we can legitimately stand and say we're more prosperous than someone else. Like we we got a lot of work to do. So just incredibly grateful and motivated by conversations like this, Brad, and all the, and, and leaders like yourself, by the way, that are doing things that uh, I, I want more people to know about it because I think more people can model it and then, uh, you know, uh, build on the leadership and do it their own way. So I, I get yeah. really excited about spending time with all of you. 
Yeah. Well, thanks, Kenny. And I love that um, kind of last piece about sometimes, you know, it's more important to know what it doesn't look like. And, um, you know, we might not have all the answers, but we know what, what's not working and what we can't keep doing. And sometimes, um, you know, maybe that's the best place to start. So, hey, thanks again. This has been uh, a joy for me to get to hear your story and get to know you even better in a different way. And um, I'm sure our audience will love it. And thanks again for the, uh, the partnership and uh, friendship and uh, lots more to come. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at the Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak. 